0: Hey there, everybody. Uh, This is Drew, as my daughter gave me that intro too. Uh, Don't have any guests on this week, but I'm working on getting some people here in the next couple of weeks. Today, I mostly wanted to talk about the events that happened there in Charlottesville, Virginia. And it's been on a lot of minds. It's certainly on a lot of people's tongues, that's for sure. But I wanted to get into first a little bit of the history involving some of these symbols that are being used and then into the uh, ideology that might be surrounding this type of environment. And then I want to talk about solutions, not just uh, those that have been proposed, but the possibilities. So what we saw... Uh, This past weekend, we saw some folks that showed up, and they were carrying the flags of the swastika and the stars and bars. Uh, They can call it a Confederate flag, but that is actually not the Confederate flag um, as far as the Confederate States of America is concerned. It's a, a Tennessee battle flag. It's not the official flag of the CSA. But when the swastika shows up, uh, it, it's, it's always bound for an interesting time. Uh, because along with that, people like to think about us fighting this, this war, World War II, fighting the Nazis, and it was about fighting their oppression, and fighting uh, what they stood for, and... and And basically trying to argue from a philosophical standpoint, an ideological standpoint, uh, is why we fought them. Uh, But that's not true. And I want you all to know that ahead of time. We did not fight the Nazis. We fought the Germans. And we fought for a few years before we even found out about the death camps. Now, there have been some rattles about uh, ghettos and stuff like that. But generally, the anti-Semitism that was carried over in Nazi Germany uh, wasn't really all that frowned upon here. Uh, There's a lot of history with anti-Semitism in the United States. So, if you believe that we just fought Nazis in Europe, uh, then you're going to find out that more Germans died than Nazis. And if you don't understand the difference between a Nazi and a German then you got to get back in the books. So, a little bit after World War I, in uh, in 1919, Germany was now under the uh, Weimar Republic and had essentially been humiliated and marginalized by the Treaty of Versailles. And I want you to... Remember, I say humiliated and marginalized because I'm going to say that quite a bit. And unemployment was very high. They were looked down upon in the international community. And that humiliation and marginalization led to the, the springing up of a few political parties. One of them being the, uh, the German Workers' Party. Now, the government at the time was afraid that this was going to be some new uh, left-wing type party that was going to challenge them, and so they sent in an education officer to infiltrate this party and report back to them, basically be a spy. And for that job, they chose Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was a spy for the government in the German Workers' Party. But the thing was, when he got there, he found himself agreeing more with what they had to say than not. And he joined this party, not as an infiltrator, but as an actual sympathizer and true believer. And within the next year or so, because of his reputation as a great orator and... Uh, basically charismatic type individual, he became the leader of that party. And that party turned from being the uh, German Workers' Party to the now uh, German Nationalist Workers' Party uh, that we come to know as the Nazis. Okay, He did not create the party. Uh, He joined it, and he was their champion. Now, when he first came about, and this was in the early 1920s, early to mid-1920s, the first thing they sought to do was a violent overthrow. They decided to do a coup d'etat in Bavaria, and it didn't work. Um, he, <laughs> he really kind of dropped down and fled once the shooting started. And while he could have gotten a life sentence or even the death penalty for high treason, which he was charged with, uh, he was fortunate enough to have Nazi sympathizers in the courts, and he got a five-year sentence, of which he only served one year. And, of course, it was in prison that he wrote his book, uh, Mein Kampf. So by the time he got out, this was in 1924, I believe. It was, it was a lot different than it was in 1923. And he decided, instead of doing this... Violent overthrow of the government is he was going to do basically what he had done to the party. He was going to infiltrate politics. He was going to try to get seats in their council under the Nazi party. So they started to grow. Uh, Party membership grew because of the humiliation and marginalization of the German people and specifically the German workers. Hitler started appealing to those people. He was all about uh, national socialism, not just regular socialism, because he didn't believe in race or sexual equality. Uh, he would he would sort of lull in the in the the general blue collar workers by explaining to them that, uh, that that it was it wasn't really the army that lost World War One; it was the communists and the Jews and uh, Jew capitalists because. Of course, they had to be the people that were holding down the workers. But in order to win elections, you need money. And a lot of the people that had joined the Nazi party at the time, being out-of-work laborers, didn't have money. So he had to get membership from industrialists or capitalists. And capitalists were afraid and didn't like Hitler because they thought his social and political policy was too left-wing because it was still a form of socialism. So they avoided him, but he was able to charm them as well by then saying that, no, the real problem here are Jewish communists. Again, he, he'll be willing to put the Jewish spin on anything as long as people would come to agree with him. So he got industrialists to back him. They gave him money, and he tried to tell them that he that he believes in their labor and they deserve their position because they worked hard for it. And then once he got the money, turn around and you go back to the downtrodden and then talk about how capitalists have kept them from getting their fair due. So, the party grew. Their representation in the national government grew. But then, between 1926 and 1928, their representation started to wane. Because the economy started getting better. And there's no better way to put an end to your racist and nationalist rhetoric about how these people are keeping you from getting a job and this is why you're hungry. There's no better way to get rid of that than, well, to get a job and to no longer be hungry. So... People started looking at it like, yeah, they're they're still saying the same thing, and they're still they're still trying to uh, spout the same the same type of uh, of political angling, but they just started losing. But then something happened in 1929, and that was our stock market crashed. Now a lot of Germany's economic comeback had a lot to do with American investment. Obviously, when something is of low value, you buy it. And when it starts to grow better and better, you make more money. So, our stock market crashes and money starts getting pulled out of Germany. And now we have these people that were on the up, that were getting jobs, they went from 1. i think it was about 1.25 million unemployed to over 4 million in the span of a year tripled almost quadrupled so then what happens well even though it's not understood how it works the stock market and markets are the universally accepted avatar of capitalism. It's it's the buying and selling of value. So they associate this economic collapse to greedy capitalism, and then all of a sudden, the Communist Party in Germany gains over a hundred chairs in their council. Now, this becomes a huge problem. Because the Nazis are against communism. So, how does this benefit Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party? Well, in all the years that they were struggling and losing representation because the economy was getting better, the only way to try and stay relevant is to simply somewhat prognosticate that it's not going to last, that economic collapse is coming. Now, he said these things, whether he believed it or knew it or not, is to be argued, but he did say it. It was on record that, no, this can't last, that the real problem is coming around the corner. And luckily for him, it did. And people remembered that people remembered oh well well he he kind of knew what was what was going on and what was going to happen so maybe he's the guy to fix it and on top of that with the huge push of the communist party he was able to convince the industrial capitalists that they're on the brink of a bolshevik revolution or something akin to that here in germany and so knowing that the first thing you do or the first thing that was done in that revolution is you seize the means of production therefore there was a scare he incited a communist scare and that forced the people with the money to force their at the time chancellor out and then we see the rise of adolf hitler became supreme chancellor who got rid of every other political party uh he, you know, he brought free school. That was cool. I mean, all of it was written by and controlled by uh, the Nazi party, but it was free. And then he just started marching through territories. From 19... From 19... I mean, 33 on. So, and in, 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 in all the way up to 1939. Because the fear of going to war was too great. And... He took the Rhineland, and he took Austria. I mean, he just walked in. There were, there were no bullets fired there. And then we all know uh, what happens. He invades Poland September 1st, thirty nine. So begins the war. Uh, backstabs Stalin. Is going to war on the Russians with the British, the French. Um, and as we all know... His obsession with the occult led to a Middle Eastern dig, trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, and then, eventually, uh, the Holy Grail. For some of some of some of you listening, you think I'm just being serious all the time. You're like, wait, wasn't that Indiana Jones? Yes. Okay. So, you know how that ends, and all of that was done under his banner of the the red field with the white circle and the swastika. That was that was then became the the German flag under Hitler's reign. And it stands for nationalism. And it stands for racial superiority and, and anti-Semitism. I mean, that, that can't be overlooked, too. I mean, there are a bunch of things that, that Hitler's Nazi party rejected, but communism is one we have a tendency to forget about because we were anti-communist as well. So while he was on the rise in uh the basically from 1934 up until that point um in America there were a lot of German immigrants here and in New York there was a group that kind of gained a little bit of support uh as the American Nazi Party and there were A good 8,000 members and a few other 1,000 supporters. Uh, The German-American Bund is what they were called. And I mean, this guy, the the guy that led led this organization was an absolute freak show. He eventually got arrested for uh, embezzlement and all kinds of stuff. And he was so bad that even Hitler didn't want to recognize him even Hitler and the Nazi party in Germany in 1938, I believe was uh, issued a decree that no German national was allowed to join this group and that they weren't allowed to use any of their uh, Nazi symbols. He didn't want them using the swastika, didn't want them using, you know, either the Brown or the black dress. He wanted to be disassociated with them. And, They ended up having this huge rally in Madison Square Garden in New York. This was 20,000 people, not all of them supporters or sympathizers. There were some people that were there to protest as well. But that was huge and was sort of the beginning of the end of that party too because once we got involved in 1941, uh, all their assets were seized. A lot of people got arrested. But there was sympathy back here. Charles Lindbergh was notably a Hitler supporter. And uh, Henry Ford for a good while, he was known for anti-Semitism, but then once we got involved in the war, I mean, he, he created the war machine. So, in America, those types of feelings are things that did exist already, and that goes back to the 1800s, that goes back to the stars and bars. Where after the end of the Civil War we saw Reconstruction. And during Reconstruction the South felt that they were humiliated and marginalized. Does that sound familiar? And this humiliation and marginalization as the losers of the war allowed for seeds to grow that would become the Knights of Columbus that became the KKK. That allowed for this type of radicalism to spread because if you feel that you're marginalized and humiliated and somebody comes along and tells you what that problem is that's caused it and how they can fix it you become attracted to it so the south's humiliation and marginalization led to Jim Crow laws yeah, they're free, but we're going to make sure that they're not seen as equal. And so, under Jim Crow, the African-American community of the South was marginalized and humiliated. And that led to the civil rights movement. I mean, I mean literally a humiliation and marginalization. I mean, <laughs> there was areas in the bus that had a sign. Negroes sit here. Separate water fountains, separate bathrooms. Literal marginalization and humiliation. And if you're going to call Rosa Parks' move to, to not give up her seat, that was an actual manifestation of a refusal to not be humiliated or marginalized. So then there came a civil rights movement. Okay? Humiliation. And marginalization leads to movement. Sometimes it can lead to radicalization. People would call the Black Panthers radical. Or when the Nation of Islam came, at first when Malcolm X appeared and they were were more violent. And then eventually, when he parted ways with those people, he got a little bit more even-keeled. Nonviolent. But it takes those things. Humiliation, marginalization. So, what we saw here, or at least from my view, in 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 Charleston, or uh, sorry, in Charlottesville, excuse me, in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, some people came in on the first day, I think there was... Maybe a hundred protesters. Maybe. And then counter-protesters came. Now, both of these groups really just looking for a fight. I mean, that that had pretty much been stated by every professional reporter there. Then the next day, obviously you see an opposition, so out come the wolves, right? 500 protesters, twice as many counter-protesters... Over a 1,000 counter-protesters. Now, the counter-protesters threw tear gas at the protesters, and the Charlottesville cops just got the hell out of there. The, the police were so non-involved in any of this. And then, this 20-year-old guy takes his car, mows down 20 people, one killed, 19 injured... And this was already after armed and unarmed combat had been going on. It came to that point. It came to vehicular manslaughter from this from this guy who apparently ha- always had an interest in the Nazis and a guy who could not join the military because of his mental health issues. And that's where it came to a to a what's going on here? What are what are we doing, or or were some of my friends that I'd seen on social media when they when they detach themselves and say, "What are you doing, America?" And I look at this group, and I'm listening or I'm reading about their their blurbs. Some there for some reason, some for another, and. I see words like like white advocacy and I see identity politics and I see what it is they're trying to promote and what they're protesting. And it's a feeling of humiliation and marginalization. Now I know a lot of you out there might say, Oh well they're they're just wrong. It's ridiculous to think that that white men are marginalized and humiliated and uh, i got to say you're wrong because i've <laughs> i have I've, I've seen people attempt to marginalize and humiliate me because i'm a white male so i understand why they're pissed i understand why they're mad i understand that they feel marginalized and humiliated but i kind of jump off the boat when they're pushing for supremacy, that's where that's right. I can't, I can't, I can't get on board with that. That doesn't make sense to me. To be better just because of where you were born or what race you were born as, to claim superiority over over nothing that was accomplished. You know, this may be a part of that. That white male privilege that I've constantly been accused of having, but I don't get riled up about that too much because I don't hang my identity on being a white guy. I don't feel attacked when there are statements made about white people or when there are statements made about straight men or statements made about Americans. I don't put myself and my identity into those things because I I did not choose those things. Those are not deeds of mine. And I know I'm continuing to choose to be a man. But I don't identify myself with that. And like I said, maybe that's a privilege. Maybe that's a privilege of mine because people do put their identities into these other things. People have put their identities into being women. They put their identities into being people of color. They put their identities into being gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or Christian. They put their identity into being white. They put their identity into being men. They put their identity into being American. And to say that they can't have that because there's no way they're being marginalized is an attempt to humiliate them. And it, it it seems that that this this push for equality is only an attempt to bump up another group that you support and and tear down another. They're fighting more for equity than for equality. Cause the truth is I I don't think people care really About loving everyone and equality as much as they say they do. In a woman's march this year, this was supposed to just be for about women's issues, about all women's issues women of color, LGBTQ women, women's rights, and it was hijacked by a contingency of Black Lives Matter. Because to that movement, the promotion of Black Lives Matter matters more to them than the women's movement does. In Chicago this year, an LGBTQ rally, a group or contingency, whatever you want to call it, of supporters, those that identify but also are Jewish, came to the rally. And they were told to leave because apparently they didn't know at this LGBTQ rally where it's supposed to be about gaining the respect and identification of just being a human being if you're transgender or gay or, or bi or whatever. Apparently, that was also supposed to be a pro-Palestine type gathering, I guess, it's even there's there's marginalization even within those movements, and I dare say they care more about getting what they identify with more, getting to that finish line than anything else. It's not everybody. Yeah, it'd be nice if everybody did, but if if one thing they identify it as gets the jump, then they will definitely prefer that. And it's my friends that I see that talk about loving everybody are also calling for the destruction of people that don't claim to love everybody and will attempt to humiliate and marginalize them. So do you love everyone? If you, if you want to quote MLK and talk about how, about how darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can drive out darkness, and hate cannot drive out hate, only love can drive out hate. We gotta love, except hate these fuckers over here. There's no place for it, they say. There's no place. Well, all of that stuff has existed before. Whether there's been a place for it or not, it has existed. So what do you do? How do you solve for it? Legislation? A friend of mine argued that reconstruction policy against the South wasn't enough. They didn't go far enough in trying to weed out that element. Maybe. But violence? That's an interesting one. Intimidation Punch a Nazi Yeah, I mean I mean that worked for uh, Homosexuals and transgenders For the longest time, didn't it? Worked for women And blacks that were trying to vote Yeah, intimidation Yeah, that works great That's That's a great way to go about Living in an accepting and loving society you know how these movements grew? You know how Nazism grew? You know how the Black Panthers grew? How the Civil Rights Movement grew? And they weren't just going around yelling at things. Yelling at people. It wasn't a bunch of, as you would say, bitching and moaning. Action. Action. Not violence, but action. Well, the Nazis did get a bit violent. But how they gained support, how their how their numbers were able to amass, is they believed in social welfare. They were feeding you. They were propping you up. They were telling you how you're their favorite kind of people. Here's some bread. Here's some soup. Now let's talk about this. Let's talk about, you know, the the great Aryan race. And even though it didn't make sense, I mean, it wouldn't have even made sense at the time. Because in all of Europe, you can't argue any purity of any race there. I mean, every single language there is, is comes from a root of th- one of three languages. There's no purity there. There's no racial purity there. Hey, these people seem cool. They're feeding me. They agree we have the same type of problems, and you know, they're telling me what the possible cause is. If you can convince somebody that the reason why you don't have food on your table or money in your pocket is because someone else is taking it from you, they will hate that person. People in the South during the Civil War were poor as hell. They were poor as hell. And over 95% of them never owned a slave. They were poor and they were told the problem is this labor. These people doing this labor. That's supposed to be your labor. And they hated them for it. And then when all of that collapsed after the war and they were free and all these plantations that claimed to be too financially strapped so they had to close down and they just blamed the slaves leaving on that. And then their state was even worse off. It's even worse and these people are to blame. And that hatred stayed with them. And if you hate somebody enough... You'll believe anything they say about them. You'd believe anything. But if somebody can put a little bread on that on that plate of yours, maybe put a dollar in your pocket, you'll listen to them too. And that's what they did and the black panthers were out in communities feeding people getting them getting them newer clothes they were about pro- they they found they they found a specific group that they wanted to support and they got support from them by being good to them and the civil rights movement they they gathered these people around and they said it's going to be hard and you're going to face a lot of resistance but there was a network of support they met. They knew each other. Now, it's it's just some invitation on Facebook. Hey, if you maybe feel this way, let's just join up and do a thing. And all they do is just yell. They just chant and yell at each other, and then fight each other. Nobody's having a, a community barbecue. Nobody's, you know, trying to... To to there's no Nazi group that's trying to gather up toys for good girls and boys that just show up to just hate, and then counter protesters show up to hate on them. Nobody's feeling inclusive, but there's no need to despair. I, it, it, what's what's sad is that people think that just because of this happened that that America's turning in a wrong direction and I can tell you that it's not that bad. There was said to maybe they were going to project between two to 6,000 of these Unite the Right protesters to show up. The most that came was 500. It's a non scare. And as I said earlier, more than twice that number showed up in opposition. We're still holding on to that racism is wrong, that any racial superiority is wrong. Are you going to have these people that feel marginalized and humiliated? Yeah. Do they have grounds Yeah, I would say this whole Google Memo thing that just happened this past week. Yeah. And you may say that's ridiculous and it just feeds the problem. But overall, no. Overall, it's not spreading. Overall, we're not more racist. This used to be institutionalized in our government. The Nazis never went away. The KKK never went away. They were very prevalent at one time, and now they're not. So when they show up, you think, oh no, I thought we were done with this. No, it's been there. But it's not a majority, it's not even that significant of a minority. And this thing could have just been considered one more one more right-wing versus left-wing clash until somebody got murdered. And that's really all what it would have been until somebody got killed. So, it's a lot to think on. But I'm telling you that there's... There's no need to feel discouraged. Because we are still, today as we were a week ago, opposed to that kind of behavior. To that kind of thought process. Because it doesn't make sense. (laughs) But I gotta tell you, the people going around and saying things like, that, that hatred isn't something that you're born with and it's something that is taught or that, that's put in you. Yeah, I agree, but you're, you're giving the wrong image here. These people that showed up, this isn't that the little two-year-old in the KKK garb that's touching the, the riot cop shield. Most of these people aren't coming from racist households. Did you see how young these guys were these weren't old racists they were white men who felt they were being marginalized and humiliated and then they found that group they were feeling lost they were feeling betrayed and that's, that's radicalism one oh one. One oh one. Take someone who feels disenfranchised and give them an answer. It's tough, definitely, but like I'm saying, it's it's nothing new, but it's something that we're going to overcome. And I'm telling you, if if you want to start getting those things away, it can't just be about shouting matches. These people that showed up and their opposition showed up looking to fight each other. There was no peaceful protest. No, 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 no. No. They wanted to fight. They got a fight because the other people wanted to fight. And I'm, I gotta tell you, if somebody you didn't like came up and punched you in the face, are you just gonna stop hating them? No. You may come back with a bigger gun. So, I mean, those are just my thoughts uh, on the situation. Uh, I... Usually people wouldn't call me a very optimistic person, but I am. Um, I really am because I don't know what a tipping point could possibly be, but it's going to have to come back to not just saying a bunch of stuff about love and love and equality and all that other stuff, but more positive things have to be done. Positive action. It has to be done. It has to be done in the streets. It has to be done in solidarity. It has to be, you have to have a white man and a white woman and a gay man and a used to be man now woman and a black woman and a Jewish, pre- you, you need to see the diversity represented if you're gonna talk about love and equality. You can't bring in the this one group ...and tell the others to fuck off. That that's, that's not equal or fair. This isn't about trying to make up for lost time. Eventually, you have to cut that and start over at zero. How are we going to go from zero? And it's been a lot easier for all these... ...what are seen as progressive nations over in Europe... Literally, they were all destroyed. It took absolute destruction of a system to then have them reevaluate it. I don't want absolute destruction in order to reevaluate. This is supposed to be a country that can change, a country that can look and realize the problems that they're having and try to change them. You can do a major overhaul if you want, but you don't need to literally just bring everything everything down and that in, that includes lives, that includes infrastructure. Or maybe you do. And I, I maybe you do. I only have evidence of that's what it takes. That's the only thing I have evidence of is absolute destruction and starting over. That's the scariest thought to me. Anyway, this has been uh, Drew Talks Podcast. Hopefully I'll have a little bit more (laughs) happy things to talk about here next week. But uh, anyway, I've, I've been Drew and you've been great. And please take care of each other.